Did you know that 89% of award-winning ad campaigns fall into just six categories of thinking? And now the ad nerds at AdHouse Advertising School have taken that thinking and turned it into a deck of cards. AdHouse of Cards is a deck of 35 cards designed to help you come up with big ideas. Each card includes a prompt, a proven technique used by award-winning ad pros to jumpstart your thinking and improve your campaigns. Visual thinkers can use the backs of the cards to free associate using gorgeous photography from the artists at Unsplash.com. AdHouse of Cards will teach you to hone in on the benefit, dramatize it, romanticize it, look at it sideways, and twist it into a pretzel. And the best part is that all of the proceeds go to the AdHouse Scholarship Program, supporting our mission to make the advertising industry more inclusive. AdHouse of Cards, a deck for ad nerds. Get yours today for just 20 bucks at AdHouseNYC.com. Hello, ad nerds, and welcome to the A-List, the podcast that asks the world's top advertising professionals how they got started in the business. I'm your host, Tom Chrisman, ECD at VaynerMedia and co-dean at AdHouse Advertising School. Today, you're going to hear an interesting conversation with Annalisa Gooden. After art school, Annalisa started taking on side gigs to fund her art, and one of those gigs was helping Goodby Silverstein and partners source found content for a sprint campaign. That side job and others led her to starting her own company called Catch and Release, a company that helps agencies and brands source, clear, and license found content from across the internet for their campaigns. Uh, I met Annalisa when I was freelancing for her at Catch and Release before I came to VaynerMedia. And I just thought she was a brilliant person, really smart, really funny. And her story is really interesting because it shows that you don't have to be an art director or a copywriter to get into this business. You can do something like finding found content. Um, so this episode is, uh, is all about being nimble and curious and saying yes to whatever comes your way. So let's say yes to Annalisa Gooden. Hey, Annalisa. Hi, Tom. So good to see you again. It's been you a while. Too. Yeah. Uh, we we tried to do your podcast, and I and then I got COVID like an idiot. And, yeah. Uh, and uh, couldn't do it. Yeah. I I wanted to do it. I was like, it would have been crazy though. I would have been a, a lunatic because well, I didn't get COVID for your podcast. So I just want to put that out there. Perfect. That's perfect. Uh, yeah, because it was a bad choice to to get COVID. That was that was not a good choice. I'm I'm really I'm really sorry that happened. Uh, but I'm through it, and it's okay. Good. Um, and uh, how's 2022 for you going? Um, yeah, it's it's going great. Um, it's an exciting time to be, um, imagining the future. Yeah, you you uh you are imagining the future, and you're you're at Catch and Release. You started Catch and Release. How long ago did you start that? Just so we can set, uh, yeah, people's. Yeah, it's well, it's, it's taken some twists and turns. It started as a nugget uh, of an idea um, back in the early two thousands, and well, mm-hmm. not even early two thousand, two thousand eleven. Mm-hmm. Um, it's probably when it kind of started to seed, 
And then um, when I actually started to kind of build a company, hire people and develop plans and, and really think about building something that could exist in the world, I, that was about 2015. So four years from like, aha, maybe this is something to making it happen. Yeah. That's, that's, that's fast. It's pretty fast. And it started at, at Goodby, right? So like, that's, that's, that's where you connect to the, to the, the advertising you, you, you were in that advertising world. Yeah. And I was actually in the advertising world before Goodby. I was um, working in, I was freelance researching. Uh, I was a photo and video researcher and was working with production companies and on a freelance basis with some agencies and um, and then Goodby, the opportunity I had at Goodby Silverstein and Partners was the first really scaled out version I was able to participate in where this nugget of an idea I had, which was, I know how to find great stuff on the web and I'm figuring out how to make it licensable. The opportunity I had at Goodby was, can you do this, you know, 2000 times um, in a month? and with 60 different people on the creative team and 20 different people in the production department. It was a, just took my nugget and blew it out. And, and after leaving that job, I was like, I think this is a, I think this warrants being a company. It should be a product. It should be something that not just good gets to use, but everybody gets to use. Yeah. Um, that's fascinating. I, but I want to get into how, how you got to advertising, where, where did you grow up? And what was your what was your childhood like? And and was there some art involved in that? Definitely, yeah. I um I my if we're going way back to the very beginning, my dad is a neurologist and a poet, um, and my mom is a, a photographer and an uh, has a great eye for architecture. So there's this blend of logic and intuition that I think I've always kind of taken with me through, through my life. Um, I did go to art school. I got an undergraduate degree from a small university here in California called Dominican, but I spent two years of that time in Italy studying with uh, two very progressive contemporary art artists from South Africa who instilled big time art theory and contemporary philosophy into their into their teaching. And I, I kept working with them. And then I went to graduate school and I got an, a master's in visual and critical studies. So again, this blend of art theory and practicing artists was really kind of a, a hearkening back to that logic and intuition. Did you want to be an artist yourself? Were you, were you trying to be an artist or was, was that something that you were like, I just want to learn about it and be near it? I did. I had a studio and I had shows and I worked as a curator. Um, at a couple of different museums. Um, but I think I, I realized that I wanted, it's a very entrepreneurial thing being an artist, but it's yeah. very lonely. Like the product is your work. Yeah. And I think that that ultimately didn't feel exciting enough for me. I, I think I wanted to build something with other people and, and solve problems collaboratively with other people. I think I, and, and I think I always, I think I kept my my artwork sort of, I was okay keeping that to myself mm. and putting my entrepreneurial energy into something that could maybe touch more people than just, you know, people who, who saw my work. Yeah. Um, and so actually my first, I had a ton of side hustles when I had a studio. Um, I worked in restaurants, uh, really nice ones, actually. I, I worked in Michelin star restaurants and 
spent quite a bit of time really studying food and wine. I found it, I felt like I was kind of in another person's studio. <laughs> Um, wait, wait. So you did this whole other job as you were also doing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah which a lot of artists have to do. Right. Sure. To make ends meet. But instead of working sure. at like Chipotle, I was, I was interested. I said, I thought to myself, if I'm, if I'm going to spend 40 hours a week, not in the studio, I want to be inspired. I want to yeah. be bringing some references back into my studio, you know, the next day. Yeah. And so I, I found that in the restaurant industry. Um, it's great. <laughs> How did you know to to go do that? Did you just? My mom, I, I got back from an art residency in South Africa with negative yeah. $600 in my bank account. <laughs> Literally, my a, a check cleared that I forgot about while I was there. And my friend totally bailed me out on the trip. She said, listen, just keep your receipts. I've got you. Um, and when I got home, I was like, okay, I've got to pay my friend back. I've got to like yeah. build this back up again. Yeah. And my, my mom said, why don't you go down to this restaurant on, in, in Oakland? It was called Citron. It's not there anymore. But it was run by like a legit chef. And she said, why don't you just go in there? It seems like a cute little French sort of fine dining restaurant. Maybe you can get a job. And I walked in and I got a busing job. And then I became oh, a wow. server. Yeah. And, and so that was your, was that your first, first job out of, out of college? And basically, basically. Yeah. Uh, and, and what, when did you, when did you start getting into, to, how did you know about advertising? Was that just another piece of art or was that just? That was another side hustle. So I was okay. working in restaurants. I had my studio. Yeah. I was, I'd say I was pretty, I was pretty engaged, right? I had, I had a lot going on, but I was, I was loving all of it. It was very different. The energy from working with a group of people at night and learning how to do that to, um, to being in the studio by myself with my headphones on. It was a, I was very fulfilled, but I got a call from a, a friend of mine who is an executive producer um, at a production company in San Francisco, a pretty well-known one. And she said, hey, I've got a, I've got a job I, I need help with, and I think you might be a good person to do it. And I said, sure, what's the job? She said, I, I need you, we're working on a matte painting for an ad, um, and we need somebody to find real, the perfect like still images for this matte painting. And I didn't know what a matte painting was. I, I didn't know any, I didn't know anything. So I said, yes. Uh, <laughs> and I went in and it was awesome. I mean, I had to learn everything. I didn't know the roles. I didn't know what an executive producer was. When she said, I want you to come in and meet the ECD. I had no idea what that meant. I was taking notes and writing down these acronyms. I didn't know yeah. anything. But once I got the brief, then it was like, oh, okay, I, I can, I can do this. So it was, yeah. you know, find, uh, we need an image of a quarry, like a big, uh, you know, like a quarry where people are mining. Yep. Like they wanted to, it was for a, uh, for Wolverine, that uh, construction shoe brand. Yeah. So they were going to like shoot these construction guys against a gray stone backdrop looking like a quarry. And then they were going to pan way out like powers of 10 style. Right. And so they needed to, they couldn't shoot that really panned out shot. Right. So they wanted me to find that one. And then they were going to push in on it and then stitch it to the stuff they were shooting. Okay. So that meant that the image had to be, it wasn't just find me an image of a quarry, like go to Getty and just go get one. It was find us a high enough resolution shot from the right angle at the right time of day that we can like actually push in on it. So it was this really specific, again, it was kind of that intuition and logic blend. Yeah. It's like, you have to understand how the image feels, it's got to feel right, but it also has these technical requirements. 
that it needs to, you have to check. And so I just, I thought that was a super cool puzzle. So I just went nuts and I didn't know anything about stock and I didn't know I could right. use Getty or I didn't know anything about that. So and I this just was went, pretty early on and probably the, the site, the sites were probably not even that, ver that good yet. Totally. It was, to, it was, uh, it was 2004. Yeah. So it was like Flickr was kind of early and it was really, really early for the internet. Um, yeah. But, but Google was a tool and that was the tool I used. I used Google image search and I went deep. I went deep looking for quarries and I found some really good shots and I, I found some not so great ones. Right. But it was also so cool to go. And I was carrying, I was downloading the files to my desktop and, you know, the files are like 45 characters long. Yeah. And so, and so I'm bringing this and the, the, I would bring the, my laptop to the, to the, to the director, to the ECD and, He'd say, I love that one. That's not so great. This one's good. Da, da, da. And then he'd call down and say, hey, can you put file number Z75 underscore? Like, I realized, okay, there has to be some workflow here. Like, we got to organize it. Yeah. <laughs> and there's no tool. to. There was nobody. Like, we had to make yeah. that up. Like, yeah. So there's all this complexity that was not, had nothing to do with the creative search. It was all this, like, other stuff that also had to get. Like and you're, that's how your mind works. You're like, I have to figure out, you're almost like a project manager brain that you kind need of, to figure out how to make this more seamless yeah. next time. Yes, that's right. And, and it's, and, but always having to hold the creative because you can't just have the project manager brain. You, you have to like be able to switch back and forth from when you're lurk, when you're searching and you're curating and you're listening to that brief, you don't, you, you don't, you have to silence the project manager brain. You have to become full on, like, all I want to oh, do is like absorb this in the most Un, unbiased way possible like you just have to be in a yes mindset at mm. the beginning and then and then you develop the processes so that the no's don't creep in yeah uh, as, as as little as possible yeah so that was your first sort of taste of like this is advertising once you figured out like who an ec what an ecd was and a then you were like, oh, maybe I'd like to do that again. Or did you get more jobs with that same? Place? I got more jobs with that same thing. And then it was word of mouth. And then I had producers calling me. And then I had some regular clients that were like, hey, we've got a research job. We've got stuff coming up. And so it, it, I don't think I ever did another matte painting again. Um, it was all manifestos and rips. And, um, and I, I did some I did uh, director treatment research. So I had a yeah. kind of a roster of directors that called on me to help them with their pitches. And um, and yeah. And so I developed kind of a research business. And the other side of the project management brain that kicked in that it was kind of a, also an eye opening experience was uh, happened on that first job with the map painting and looking for the quarry. So we'd found the shot and it was sitting on Flickr. Um, on some dude's page who had a couple other shots, but he wasn't like a super active member. Um, and the, the team really liked it. Like it was working really well. And that was the, that was the shot. And the producer came by my desk and said, how much do you think it's going to cost? And do you think we can get an agreement signed? And I was like, Oh my God, I need to find out who this, who is this photographer? He was in, yeah. I think he was in Switzerland or something. Where he lives or what language he speaks. Would, would he reach, would he respond to a request? Yeah. Does he understand licensing? Who sets the price? That whole, that whole side of it was like, wow. And you, it, yeah. it really put me into, into kind of a panic because the last thing I wanted to do is pull the shot out and say, right. you can't, you can't have it. 
So you're yeah. sort of driven by this like desire to just be able to say yes to the creative vision at uh -huh. every stage, no matter what. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's when, when it clicked for me, I was like, there's this, it's, it's awesome because we can search for anything, right. but unless we can organize it and get it licensed, it, it has to go through the whole, it has to live through that whole cycle. It has to go through that whole process. Otherwise yeah. it's, it's not doing what it needs to do. That's so interesting. So, so it, through that process, you started to, in your mind, you started to think, Hey, this could be a business. Um, was that a could be Were you a could be at that time? So then I, so, uh, so I was getting a lot of word of mouth stuff and starting to yeah. really become familiar with the production community, really yeah. kind of knowing now, like the different folks and what their needs were and how to, how to, how to talk, even how to talk, how to repeat back to a creative what I understood in their brief, that was a, a skill I developed, how to engage with producers and, you know, make, make sure they had what they needed to get things going, all that. I kind of developed, I, I worked in that community as a freelancer for, um, for about five, six years. And then I got the call from Goodby. The EP who hired me at Goodby was the same one who first called me to do the matte painting. Oh, that's the same interesting. Woman. Yeah. She's like, that's hey. interesting. I'm like, well, Every what's her name? Awesome. Do you she's want to give awesome. Yeah, she's great. Her name is Carrie Crosby. Okay, Carrie Crosby. So yeah. Carrie Crosby was like, "Hey, remember when I called you about the uh, the map painting? Mm -hmm. The same thing. Was it yeah. was it a similar kind of thing, or what were they doing? It could be they're they're always they were always ahead of the sort of they felt like the most maybe because they were in San Francisco. Probably um, they saw all the future stuff happening, so they were trying to get ahead of the web. I guess what were they? They were Social yeah. Media? They were, yeah, I would say that's accurate. So it was for Sprint and it was a, a campaign called All Together Now. And they wanted to activate the community of potential Sprint consumers on the internet and use yeah. that content to speak to them. So it was a massive curation research effort to find content. And then it was a machine to do the licensing. Um, and the clearance on all that stuff. And Goodby had a really full-fledged creative production and business affairs department. So, but they didn't have a central tool to manage this or a process to manage it. Right. So I kind of built that. Um, I built that at Goodby. I built a way to like a process for, I'd go get my, the requirements for business from business affairs and producers first, just like yeah. get the, get the no stuff out of the way. Right. Like yeah. How much does it have to cost? How much time do we have? What are the legal requirements? Who's handling what? I'll just get that out of the way. And then it was full immersion into the creative, into the creative brief. Yeah. Um, this sounds like um, when you get briefed to me, like it's like when a, when a creative gets briefed, you want to know the budget, you want to know the constraints you want to know. So you were doing a creative job. And I mm -hmm. think some of the creatives listening Maybe your first job isn't as a copywriter or an art director. Maybe your first job is as a curator in the production department. Maybe your first job is as, you know, because what Annalisa did was she got in there and she met all these people and she found her thing, you know, she, she, and she got into good B just by, just by being good at this one thing. Um, so that's kind of interesting uh, it, for people out there that are like, how am I going to get it? You don't have to get in by like showing your book and you can have a, another skill. Um, that's cool. I think that's absolutely, I think that's absolutely right. And I think 
opportunity looks really different. I think you follow something that really interests you and that you feel uniquely good at and trust that opportunity is going to follow that. I mean, I got, I did, I set this whole, I stood this thing up at sprint and had a blast trying to sort this out. I mean, some of the challenges were so interesting. Like they were going to launch a spot on May 5th and it was called the centennial spot. And they wanted to find a human in America that was turning a hundred so that on May 5th, the whole world could wish her a happy birthday live. So you had to find, they had the campaign date and now we had to go find someone who was turning a hundred close enough to the campaign date that, I mean, it was just, it was, there were a lot of moving parts, but it was really, I, I found it super fascinating. I like Those I, phone I, calls must have been so funny. Hello, Bernice. Hello. When is, we, when is your birth? May, May 10th? Oh, sorry. Never mind. Yeah. Okay. You're out. Um, so funny. No, I love things like that where it's like, let's, let's do this thing and like put on a, sh- it's almost like putting on a show. You're like, let's, let's put a pop-up shop or whatever it is. And you just get all the best people to help you out. And you find companies like yours, Catch and Release, which are really good at that one thing or that, that other thing. And, and you, you learn to use them and, and it's a whole other, it's a whole other ball of wax. So that's very cool. Um, so you, you were, you were standing that up. What were some of the what were some of the problems that came along? What were some of the things other than the the you had the hundred the hundred year old woman? Tell me another tell another me another one? Uh, another one yeah yeah sure so uh, I remember this one um, the creative team had come up with because they'd come up with scripts they didn't have any of the content they were going to shoot anything so they were coming up with ideas and then we had to go reverse engineer the content to fit the idea and. The best, I would say the best creatives today working with found content are open to changing the original idea when they're open to the surprise of what's being found. Cause there's a lot of surprise. You can't premeditate everything that's on the internet. So when you have a creative idea and you start to see a response to that brief, sometimes there's some really surprise, surprising and delightful things. And so some creatives are open to changing that and some are like, no, it has to fit like the original idea. Um, right. Yeah. I've seen that before where creatives, they fall in love with their, you know, their drawing or their sort of like the thought in their head. And then when they're searching for even swipe, they'll be like, ah, that's not. But if you're, if you're looking for the actor or the actress or the director, you sort of have in your head who you want you can miss the opportunities out there. So that's, that's kind of an interesting. Right. So having a little bit of agility there, I think Ben, especially in the world of found content, I think can be a really huge skill Mm -hmm. because ideas can take shape in different ways. So there was a little mix of that because it was an early, still pretty early in the world of found content back then. And so there were some creatives who were pretty open and excited about not knowing what they were going to see. And then the others that were really more fixed. So one team that had this really specific idea in their head, um, they wanted to, in the similar way to the Centennial, they wanted to find a, uh, a T-ball team, like a junior league, like five-year-olds, you know, playing softball team that had never won a game. Like a team that had been a team for maybe a few seasons or a few years, had never won a game. And 
the sprint community is going to watch them go on Sunday to like that game. And they're going to send a crew down to film it. And this community is going to rally around them and they're going to like cheer them on. And then we'll see if they win or lose. Um, and I looked forever. I called every T-ball coach on the planet. I mean, the, the rosters I found like on the internet of like yeah. these like small little towns. I, it was awesome. So I got on the phone with these coaches. I'm like, we need a team that's never won. And he's like, I got you, but we don't keep score in T-ball. <laughs> no T-ball team has kids. ever Because <laughs> the, these are just kids. We're trying to teach them to enjoy the game, not to like be competitive. Yeah. So I kept going back to the team. I'm like, we can't, I can't get that age group. Like they don't keep score. So can we open this up to the next level up, which is, you know, level one or whatever. So that took some convincing, but ultimately I, I, you know, it, it did, it, it wasn't, it wasn't out there. Like there was, it wasn't yeah. out there. Yeah. It wasn't out there. Um, so, so you're at, you're at good B. When do you start to think I'm going to make this into a business? Is it there? Or are you just like, I when, gotta, I gotta make yeah, when, when sprint was humming and, and we were really, we were really rolling and we had, we had great, we had great alignment between creative production and business affairs to get these spots out. And, and the process was feeling pretty good. Um, and I built a bunch of tooling to like do the project management stuff on all the workflow. And I, I, you know, trial and error had built some stuff up that was holding it pretty well. Um, I, I would say the aha moment for me was when the Chevy team called and they said, Hey, we're working on a spot, heard what you're doing at Sprint. Can you come help us? And then I think it was Amex. Amex said, hey, heard what you did over at Chevy and Sprint. Can you come help us? And I thought, yeah, this is an agnostic offering. This is something that isn't specific to Sprint. This is a, this is a production capability that doesn't exist. Yeah. And I, I need to build it. Had, it. had anything like it ever existed? Did you, did you do some research where? I did. So art buyers were sort yeah. of the, I think that was kind of the first role. Right, um, right. Yeah. But but not for video, not right. in not in video. There were there was not a role. There wasn't an art buyer equivalent for footage. That's interesting. So like, because then it would be a producer, and then you they want to talk to production companies, and production companies want to shoot their own stuff, and so it's just it's just about nobody had been doing that specific job. Mm -hmm. um, so talk about catch and release. What what is catch and release now? What are what is the what are the capabilities of it now? Yeah. So uh, I'll tell you if I can, like why I named it catch and release. And then oh, yeah. I think yeah. that'll, that'll get us to, so the company that I had um, before like, as when I was freelancing and then ending up at Goodbee was called visual catch. That was the name of my like freelance research company. And we did mm -hmm. some licensing. We did the licensing too, but um, it's called visual catch. And after I, after I left Goodbee, I took my, uh, I, I, I figured out that I yeah, could turn this into something. And mm -hmm. I, I wanted to call every single agency in San Francisco and tell them that I just left Goodby and was now available for hire to help them with these particular problems. And I got a lot of good responses and there's a lot of really good agencies in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. Eleven was there and BBDO was there and uh, uh, McCann was there. There's a bunch just like up and down Market Street or California Street. You could just kind mm -hmm. of walk into almost any building um, that looked nice and it was probably an agency. So I printed business cards at like Kinko's on Embarcadero and walked around the city uh, talking to people about this offering of finding content and making it 
making it licensable. And for the most part, everybody said, yeah, we, it was either the response was either, oh man, I wish I knew about you a week ago, or, <laughs> you know, can you start on something tomorrow? So there was a lot of, there was a lot of demand. Mm-hmm. And so I was taking that kind of good B process and I was trying it out in different agencies and testing it out and making sure it was working for, for everyone. And um, what was kind of just stuck in my mind from during that time and what I couldn't like shake was how easy I wanted the process to be, but how hard it was in reality. And I, mm. I remember thinking to myself, I'm like, the internet should have built-in licensing capability. Like the internet has the content. And by then we had Instagram and we had YouTube and we had um, Vimeo and we had all the, we had all these, all these amazing platforms and we had increasingly great phones and cameras that were available. I mean, when I first got started, it was like, you know, it was a red camera or bust. Like there was no, that was the biggest problem with, with finding user generated content is it usually was such bad quality that you couldn't use it. Yeah. Yeah. And then the Canon 5D Mark II came out Mm. and that was like a $3,000 camera that made beautiful, beautiful footage. And then the iPhone, right? Through its whole development cycle, the iPhone 4 was not great. And then you get to the, you know, the sixes and the sevens and it was pretty, pretty damn good. Um, And GoPro's in there too. Like there's a lot of, a lot of that was happening at that time. So so the footage was, the, the content was available. It was searchable, it was findable. It's out there. It's being publicly shared and shown. Um, but man, the licensing and organization of it was such a, just, it was barbaric. Right. Um, and I thought this needs to be easy. Like footage and content should hit the internet and immediately become uh, available for licensing, or at least there should be a process we can all follow. And I thought it's in my head, it was like, it should work like an engine, like, like a cause and effect, like something comes in, something goes out. So something gets caught and then it immediately starts a release process. And Mm. in describing this to my husband, who's a, who has, who has fly fished in his life, he's a, he likes to do it. He said, yeah, it's like a, what you're describing is kind of like catching and releasing and fly fishing. It's like, you kind of want it to just, you, you don't want it to be so heavy. You want it to kind of flow. And I thought like, that's perfect. That's going to be the name. That's catch and release. So, so I named it catch and release, bought the domain, did the the whole thing, switched everything from visual catch to catch and release. And then immediately started thinking about how to bring the technology to bear, to support this vision and to support all of the, you know, knowledge I had about the workflow and the people involved and who touches what, who needs what, when, um, and uh, that was the beginning of a whole another chapter. So Catch and Release today is, is on that mission. We're on a mission to become the licensing layer of the internet. We're going to take all of this knowledge and all of this passion and empathy for the creative, the global creative community. And I, when I say creative community, I mean anybody who touches creative on the, on the agency or the brand side and also the creators who are making content, some of whom don't wouldn't even call themselves creatives, right? Some have just right. shot something at the right place in the right time, but we treat them all with the dignity of a professional because that's what we believe is right. So we're going to take all of that and, and we're, what we're building is the licensing layer for the web. So everyone can participate in this process that we've, we've created. So everything that, because right now, it's sort of, if you're a brand, 
you're probably limited to some influencers. And if you want to get real content, you have to either, you have to call around or, but you're, you're saying that every single picture on the web is I'm going saying to be licensable. Images, videos, music, writing, art, anything created, owned by someone, created by someone and posted to the internet will be able to go through a licensing process and flow that we've built. Yeah. So tell me some of the, um, some of the like successes that you've had for, for brands and, and some of the ideas that people have had. Cause, cause I feel like a lot of, especially young creatives, they don't know what they can use and what, how they can use all this amazing imagery and, and, and things on the internet to make something new. Uh, tell me some of the, some of the success stories. Yeah, well, I think um, I think that the I think there's a couple of ways that the internet becomes a super interesting um, creative resource for ideas. One is um, in response to an idea. So you you have an idea and you use the and a lot of people, I'm sure, a lot of people who are listening are using the internet to support early versions of ideas. Right when you're just mocking something up or you want to put like a mood board together and you're not going to go shoot everything. So you're going to sort of start. The first step is go find references. I do this as an artist too, before I kind of start a body of work. I'll kind of, what, what interests me right now? What am right. I, what am I attracted to? And that's kind of the first step. So, so that's the first relationship to the internet. And then knowing that it can be sort of even more fine tuned, the search can be even more specific. And then the licensing can take place means you can actually make what you've mocked up, right? You can, that mm -hmm. could actually be the real thing. So a pitch or a rip could be the final commercial in this right. world. Right. Um, so, so that's kind of content responding to an idea. And then there's ideas responding to content. So Milk Pep um, discovered on TikTok that there was a whole event happening where people were dancing to this song, Fancy Like, and they wanted to respond to that. They wanted to create a campaign responding to this trend that was just kind of happening, this moment that was happening on TikTok right now. Yeah. And so they leveraged found content to be a part of that conversation, um, to be a part of that moment. So that's another example of, of brands being able to see what's use the internet as a, um, a cultural sort of wand, right? What's mm -hmm. happening? And, and, and does this, is this something that we want to be a part of? Yeah. And, and then to respond really quickly with, you know, so what did you do for them? You, you actually found footage of people doing that. Mm -hmm. We found uh, footage of people on, on TikTok doing this yeah. and then managed all of the clearances and licenses really, really quickly so they could get to market while this was still a relevant moment. Right. Because so many things are like flashes in the pan right now. And you yeah. got you to be, if you're off trend, then you're out right. on the TikTok. Um, but uh, but what, 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 are some other, what are some other ways people can use catch and release? Well, catch and release is really, you know, it's, it's, a, it's at, at its essence, it's curation and it's licensing. It's like curation and permission. Um, so if curation is about inspiration, it's about responding to a creative intent or a creative idea. Um, yeah. And so we work, we work with, um, we work with advertising agencies, production companies, in-house agencies at brands and help them and recommend content to them that inspires them, whether mm -hmm. it's 
a response to their brand guidelines and that they want it to be fairly broad or it's a campaign, a very specific project they're working on that they need to be successful. But that curation piece is really important because it's, it's and the curators that um, the Catch and Release employs and, and trains are super interesting, right? There are a lot of different perspectives and a lot of different kinds of people. I think about curating a little bit like casting. Mm. Depending on the brief, depending on the search, you want to cast a certain pair of eyeballs with a certain sort of je ne sais quoi that's going to pick up on the nuance of a piece of content more than maybe somebody else would. And that's how I built the company because I remember getting briefs from clients that were like, we want to celebrate the best moments in basketball over the last hundred years. And I'm like, I don't even know the keywords for that. Like I'm not, I don't, I'm not a sports person. So I don't even know where to start. So I brought somebody in to curate for me who I knew is a sports fanatic. And he knew all of the moments that yeah. became the keywords for a search. So curation t- is, this, is the art and science of taking in a creative ask and turning it into keywords. Yeah. Um, so that's a really cool thing. And that, that, that can be applied in, uh, again, like once the editor is working on cutting something together and you're just like right in there, the spot's going to air in a week and they need some extra help, or it's helping a brand develop a long-term content program where they want constant, a constant feed of curated content that, that meets their needs. And then the licensing side or the permissions is us managing all of the, um, all of the back and forth with the creator and the owner, reaching right. out to them, identifying who they are, making sure it's legit, it's safe, it's indemnified, there's not going to be any legal issues. The, everyone feels good about the opportunity. Creators are stoked to see themselves in the work. Brands are stoked to have people feeling good about being a participant in the commercial and, and then we get them paid and, you know, we do all the mechanics behind the scenes and make it equitable, make it safe, um, make it a thing a creator would want to do again. Yeah. Um, and celebrate them afterwards. That's important yeah. to us. We, we yeah. believe catch and release's purpose is to connect, protect and celebrate the world's creatives and storytellers. So yeah, we want to be that, that place that those three things can happen. So often in the past, I feel like user-generated content or UGC uh, has been this like exploitative, like, you know, you just, you throw out like a, eh, we'll give you some free soda if you give us your pictures of that. And I feel like there's been a switch now where people understand that, or the good modern companies and modern modern people understand that like, these are humans out there. And we can actually play with them and user generated content doesn't have to be like a, a dirty word. You know, you can sort of, you can sort of make it like a co-creation. Uh, and, and it strikes me that like the, the best creatives right now are the ones who are okay with having a curator out there, finding pictures for them and uh, mm-hmm. having, um, having people uh, who are fans of the product be part of the, part of the creation process and not trying to like write the script and make it happen, but being open. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Maybe we could rename UGC to like human generated content. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Yeah. um, Not not robots. Yeah. Um, Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, uh, it's great what you're doing and it's, it's, it's another Avenue into this business being a, being a, a really good, Googler, a really good searcher. What are some What are some tips for Googling? What can uh, Can you give us some 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 
curator tips? Yeah, sure. It's um, it's it starts with the it starts with the the brief. It starts with the idea. It starts with the and not even really with that. It it starts with the if you're looking for a shot. Um, mm-hmm. It starts with understanding what that shot is supposed to be doing for the story. So what is, what is its, what is its purpose? What, what does it serve? What part of the story is it serving? Right. Cause that tells you what all the sentiment, the sentimental qualities has to be. Mm-hmm. Like, does it have to feel if it's a, let's say it's a, um, a moment where uh, in a story where uh, maybe there's a campaign and someone wants to celebrate first moments mm-hmm. and they want to show first firsts across the board and one of those first then you then as a curator you think okay they don't care so much about exactly what firsts they want us to come to the table with some ideas of what first so maybe they give us an, a list of first steps uh first bicycle mm-hmm. ride etc but as a curator you sort of think you got to think what other scenarios could represent a first and then you mm-hmm. and then you then you once you have that then you can go out and you can actually start searching Mm-hmm. Um, other things, um, other good, like curation hacks, if you're looking for a specific point of view, you can try searching with the words, my, or mine in, in the, in the, in the search. So instead of saying boy on a beach, you could say my son on the beach, <laughs> um, oh, wow. yeah. me and my son on the beach. So you're, yeah. you're kind of introducing that, that really personal, yeah. um, narrative in the yeah. search words because anybody who's 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 describing or naming the content before it hits the internet is thinking about it from their perspective so it gets you closer to that perspective so it forces you to get into the head of your customer or your or the target um and wh- how would they how would they put that on the like thinking about the context of that of that piece of of art absolutely because yeah. Because it's really, and, and that's where curation is different from a search algorithm. An algorithm, mm-hmm. like we've done searches before where the gold lived on page 2000 of a YouTube search. It's not in the top 10. Yeah. That's not like, that's not where it lives. It's like, it's buried, it's deep because it's, it, the value is really in how the creator has, has named it, not necessarily how the algorithm picked it up. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, uh, it's kind of, it's kind of cool. It makes you think about like just the act of, of searching can be, can be a creative act. It is absolutely, it is absolutely a creative act. And then the way that it's organized, right. The way that you organize the content before sharing it with your team Mm. or with your clients is also important because that helps them understand your, your curative vision yeah. Like like going into a museum, like the or the order in which pieces are displayed and paired up or yeah. separated matters a lot to the the overall message. Yeah. Um so uh I I we're coming up on time. What what where can people uh find you and and interact with you? Yeah, so um catchandrelease.com is our website and you can take a look there at a ton of examples of recent work that our customers are making with found content and using catch and release. Mm. And then we have some really cool tools coming this year um, for creators and for 
for people to engage with licensing the internet. So I'd say stay tuned for some of that because there's some really cool stuff coming out. Oh, that's very cool. Well, thank you for, for coming on and, and telling your story. So good to talk to you. Tom, it was awesome. I love this podcast and uh, I hope it's helpful to, to all your listeners who are um, thinking about what they want to do next because there's a lot of opportunity out there. Awesome. There are so many great stories in this business and Annalise's is one of them. Uh, what an interesting person. What an interesting episode. Head over to catchandrelease.com to see some of the work that she's helped create for agencies and brands. This has been the A-List, sponsored by Ad House Advertising School. We have a new class with Rich Wakefield starting March 17th. 10 weeks, just $699. Check it out at adhousenyc.com. I'm Tom Chrisman. You can find me at tomchrisman.net. Thanks for listening. Thanks to Ross Hopman at Duotone for the music. And we will be back next week or the week after with another awesome episode. So stay tuned and uh, subscribe, why don't you? And tell your friends and stuff. All right, that's it for me.